This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Makesy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. If you're at home or if you're able to open a Bible on your phone, uh, tablet, or, or you got your Bible in front of you, open up to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're going to be taking a look at a passage there here in just a moment. As you know, this past Sunday was Easter. Uh, the Sunday before that was Palm Sunday. And I want to talk about some things concerning that, but not necessarily that directly here in just a moment. As I've mentioned before, our summer is coming up. We're into April now, and of course, May and school will be over with, and what are you going to do with those kids? They want to get out of the house. They don't want to be cooped up. Things are opening back up, and that's a great thing, a blessing. Well, maybe you've thought about sending them to summer camp. But, man, summer camp is expensive, isn't it? Some places charge $600 per kid per week. Some charge $1,000. Can you believe? I can't afford that. Man, that's, that's just too much. Well, at the Copper Basin Bible Camp, which is 10 minutes outside of Prescott, Arizona, they, we charge only $195 per kid per week. And if it's a cub camper, that is, they're, they're between the ages of 5 and 8, it's $95 per kid per week at that summer camp. And it's a, it's a week. It goes from Sunday afternoon for the older kids, Sunday afternoon till Friday afternoon. Cub campers is Tuesday to Friday afternoon. So I encourage you to go to CopperBasinBibleCamp.com. Look us up there or contact me at Chris Macy at TacklingTheText.com. And I'll get you more information on that. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15 this afternoon. <clears throat> and I want to start with this. Have you, have you ever heard this phrase, let your conscience be your guide? Let your conscience be your guide. Have you heard that? Of course we have. We all have heard that. And at the core of this proverb is the idea that our conscience will never be wrong. But the problem is that's not always true. So a couple of Sundays ago, like I was saying, we call that Palm Sunday. And we acknowledge that as a special Sunday because it was the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and began his final week of ministry. And when he entered the city, the, the crowds were, were just going crazy. Here in their minds, here came the hope of Israel, our future king, they were probably thinking. This is the man who fed thousands upon thousands of people with just a little boy's lunch. This is the man who healed the sick, he healed the lame, he healed the leprous, he healed the blind, he raised people from the dead. With him as king, no power on earth could ever stand against Israel. And, and so they were putting palm branches down for, for him. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. He was the king, the power of God, the leader who would deliver them from the power of Rome. And John chapter 12, 
verse 13 tells us that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Hosanna means, Lord, save us. The people believed that Jesus was sent by God to be their deliverer. And for a few days, they thanked God. They sang his praises because they truly believed this man was their deliverance from Rome. But by the end of the week, things changed, didn't they? Yep. The same crowd who shouted Hosanna on Sunday by Friday was calling for his death. (laughs) Remember they gathered to watch as the Sanhedrin arrested him, delivered him over to the Romans to be crucified. And those who were shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel, now cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. From John 19. So I want to pose this question. How could... How could these people who praise him one day and curse him a few days later, how could they do that? How could they do something so evil as a call for the death of a man who'd done no wrong? Even Pontius Pilate, he was a not a good man, politician, not a good guy at all. He didn't want to put Jesus to death. He, he recognized that this was wrong. So why hadn't these folks... Why had their conscience convicted them of the wickedness of what they were doing? Why hadn't their conscience guided them? Well, it had. Their conscience was guiding them. And it was telling them that a real king of Israel would never allow himself to be arrested by the Romans. A real king of Israel would never be condemned by the Sanhedrin. Excuse me. That's what their conscience was telling them. And if the Sanhedrin and the priest believed that he was to be crucified, well, man, so let it be, right? That's what their conscience was telling them. And their conscience was wrong. You see, our conscience is not some great mystical force. It's just part of the soul that God gave, that he created within us, to help us make decisions. And everybody has one. I want to turn over to Romans chapter 2. Let me get my Bible over there. Romans chapter 2. And I want us to look at verses 14 and 15, but we're going to start in verse 12 for the context. But I want to start, I want you to hear verses 14 and 15. Starting in verse 12, it says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it was not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Here's verse 14. For the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. Now, what Paul's saying there is that the 
there are certain things in the Mosaic law that even the Gentiles naturally do. Their conscience convicts them. He's talking about lying or stealing or murder. We know it's wrong. I remember stealing once as a kid the first time, and man, I felt so guilty. Or when you're caught, you feel guilty because you know it was wrong. You know it. I see it in my kids' faces all the time when I walk into a room, and all of a sudden they stand up and they look at me with this look. You know what I'm talking about? If you got kids, you know. I can see guilt written all over them. What'd you do? <laughs> it was their conscience convicted them. God created the conscience to be our inner voice. So we all got one. Even those who we, we, the Bible calls pagans, those who don't believe in God, even they have a conscience. And we're all guided by this conscience, and it helps us decide right and wrong. We've all got the voice, and it convicts us and makes us feel guilty, and it gives us shame when we do things that we should not do. However, with that in mind, our conscience uh, feeds on whatever we give it, okay? So <clears throat> if we can build that conscience based on what we give it, that means it's possible to program our conscience to accept things that we should not accept. It's possible to program our conscience to steal and cheat and hurt and kill and feel just fine about it. The Bible talks about this. In 1 Timothy 4.2, it talks about searing your conscience. And it happened on a very large scale just last century in World War II, right before World War II, in Nazi Germany. Hitler said this, quote, I freed Germany from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, relentless, and cruel. That's true. That's what he did. And that's one of the reasons Hitler worked so hard to undermine and destroy the church in Germany. I remember watching this movie. I, I don't remember the name of it. But it was about an American businessman who went to Germany before the war and military intelligence recruited him to, to do some spying for them while they were over there. And he was staying at this fella's house, a friend of his, who was a German. And he had a son going to the German public school or whatever it was. And his son was always dressed in the military uniform of, of Nazi Germany. And the father had to be careful what he said around his son because he knew his son reported everything back to to the Germans, you know, to the school and Boy, the son was just completely enamored with the whole German hierarchy and how it worked. And uh, throughout the movie, you, you could see this situation getting uh, bad for him. And then the son found out what was going on, and his own son turned him in. And the son watched with glee, with a smile on his face, as the German soldiers took his dad away. How did that happen? He was programmed to do that. His conscience didn't convict him because Hitler did what exactly what he wanted to. He got rid of that and developed it into something else. He knew, Hitler knew, as long as preachers preached godly morals, the conscience of the people might be awakened and the people would turn against him undermining his evil. 
The point is our conscience can be seared. It can be warped. It can be bent out of shape, but it all and it, it all depends on who it is we listen to. And that's why the very first psalm in the book of Psalms says this in Psalm 1:1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You see that verse is saying that we should not be hanging around wicked sinners. And mockers. Why? Because those kinds of people can warp you. It's not saying you can't go out there and try to teach them and reach them and be friends with them, but don't make that your sole source of influence. Careful the kind of friends you have. It's okay to be friends with certain groups that you know that are we would consider evil or you're doing bad things. And I'm talking about you know being engaged in a lifestyle that's not congruent with the Word of God. But don't make them your best friend. Don't be going to them for counsel or advice. Children, high schoolers, okay? Whoever you hang around with the most will be the greatest influence upon your mind and upon your conscience. All right? Because if you hang around the wrong folks, they will bend your conscience out of shape. And you'll begin to think like they do. You don't want to do that. Just look at their lives. Look at the Word of God and think about the end of life and ask yourself, do you want to go where they're headed? Is that really what you want? Pay attention. Focus on what's going on all around you. Be careful who you listen to because the wrong people will take your life off course. Pay attention to where these folks are going and ask that question. Do I really want my life going in that direction? Now, obviously you'd be thinking, okay, well, I need to hang around more religious folk, right? And they would be the best people to hang around with, you would think, right? Because church folks would help me shape my conscience. That's why we come to the worship service, right? But it was religious folk who whipped the crowd into calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. It was the Pharisees, it was the priests, it was the Sanhedrin council, who were the ruling religious leaders of the day. And Jesus never had much good to say about those folk. At one point, Jesus addressed them and said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. What I'm saying is, Just because someone says they are religious does not mean they are a good person to be following. Uh, I read a study just a a week ago or two weeks ago saying that for the first time here in America, those who claim to be attending the worship service regularly, the Christian worship service, fell below 50% for the very first time. I, I think that's because of COVID. And I think it's because those folks who were going and just, we call them seat warmers, they weren't really Christians. They never were interested in the things of God. They just went. Now that they hadn't been going for almost a year, they just didn't want to go back. They realized, why? I don't get anything out of that. That's not working for me. Why would I bother going back? And so they just stopped going. This is, could be, you could say, to look at this in a positive way. God refining the gold, getting out all the impurities from the church so that the church can be purer 
and stronger. Getting rid of those folks who claim to be Christians, but really just, I hate to say, I hate to put it this way, but it's true. They kind of drag the church down, sucking away all the resources of the church from, for those, from those who really need it. And so uh, it's not, it can't be a good thing. Yeah, I wish they would learn and, and stick around and maybe think upon the things of God, but they hadn't been doing it, obviously, or they weren't actually receiving good lessons. Religious folks, though, right? And there's still folks out there that claim to be religious, but they're not. There's leaders of churches, plural, that claim to be religious, but they are not. They're not part of the, the, word of, uh, the things of God. So be careful. You know, there are certain teachers out there whose conscience are seared. They're, they're warped. One of the ways you can tell who they are was what they taught in Scripture. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul warns Timothy about religious folks. He talks about there are some out there who advocate that you abstain from certain types of food and that you should not be married. If you want to be more holy, don't eat these foods and don't be married. Now, we, we know that that comes from Jewish laws, but that doesn't make you holy. Think of it like this. I despise peas and corn. I hate them. I can't stand the taste or anything. What if I taught, being the minister here at North Valley, the minister here at North Valley, what if I taught that you are more holy if you abstain from peas and corn? So I don't eat those and you do. Therefore, I'm more holy than you because... I don't eat that garbage. Does that make sense? Or what about not being married? Oh, if you're not married, then you're more holy than everyone else. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? God gave us marriage. No, no, it does not make sense. It's not true. That was taken out of between the ears of somebody and they threw it out there and it's just not so. And so Paul is saying, don't hang around those folks. Even if they look religious, don't make them your source for your conscience. So what do you do? Where do we go to fine-tune our conscience? That's a good question, right? If you can't depend on certain friends, if you can't depend on acquaintances, relatives, or even certain religious folk to help mold your conscience, where and with whom could you possibly spend your time to make your conscience, so or, or, or to make sure your conscience will do what your your conscience should should be doing, right? Well, let's let's look at a few things. <clears throat> Paul told us in Acts chapter twenty three, verse one, he said, "Brethren." I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, Paul was encompassing his whole life there. He was saying before he was a Christian, he had a good conscience, and after he was a Christian, he had a good conscience. There's a difference, though. His conscience was feeding on different things in both of those cases. Before he was a Christian, his conscience was being fed by the teachings of the Pharisees. And he was believing that was the will of God, but really he was just doing man's will when he was getting papers to go arrest Christians in in uh, Damascus, when he uh, stood by and condoned the killing of Stephen. Oh, man, that's the right thing. This is God's will. No, it ain't, Paul. 
You, you, you fed your conscience the wrong thing. And he was fine with it because he thought that was the right thing to do. But he was wrong. And he realized that when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he, the Lord uh, told him, go to Damascus and wait there. And that's when Ananias came to him, talked to him, and the, uh, the scales fell off his eyes. And then he, Ananias said, arise, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. Now, Galatians, Paul tells us that he went to Arabia for three years before he started preaching. I believe that Jesus taught him for those three years, just like he did the other apostles. And it was there that Paul's conscience was remolded into what it needed to be. And that's one of the reasons why Paul, he probably felt real guilty after that for what he had done to Stephen. Allowed to happen. What he done? All those Christians, man, how horrible! No wonder he was had to humble him to a point. Also, oh, and then so after that, so you got one side of that. He was his conscience fed by the Pharisees. After that, fed by God, and there was a difference in him, wasn't there? Romans uh, chapter nine verse one. He says, "I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit." Now. The word Holy Spirit there is capitalized, but it's talking about the mind and heart of God. His his conscience testifies with him in that the mind and the heart of God is there with him. He knows what it is. His conscience knows that. And think about this. If If you want to shape and mold your conscience so that you can trust it, then doesn't it make sense to let the one who made your conscience influence it? Of course it does. Right, let me turn over to the 119th Psalm. I hope I can get through all this by my time constraints here. 119th Psalm, verses 97 to 104, says, Oh, how I love your law, David writes. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine, and I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. What what David's saying there is, he molded his conscience with the things of God. He meditates on it every single day. He's always thinking about it and influencing himself with the word. And that has molded him, not only his personality and everything, but his own conscience. It has become a good guide him. He can trust those instincts. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, look at all these things. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to go to the worship service or listen to the sermon, take communion, sing songs of praise. But what it does say is this. If you're not listening to God, then going to the worship service is worthless. When, a, when the, the, the uh, uh, things like the COVID hit, you're going to fall away because you're just, you're not, you're not, even a, you're, you're, you're not, part of the things of God. You haven't molded yourself into the things of God. You, you'll encounter folks who come to worship and say, well, I wasn't being fed, or, or they'll uh, may imply that their needs were not met, or they'll you'll be seeing them thinking, well, they're just looking to be entertained. But worship is meant to be a place where we feed each other, 
where we meet each other's needs. And God forbid we show up and look to be entertained. Until you listen to God's leading, you'll fall prey to those kinds of traps. I want to close this out with an illustration. I've given this before, I think, on the radio here, but let let me give it to you again here. Years ago, when the telegraph was the main form of communication, if you don't know what a telegraph is, look it up on your phone. You should know that, I hope. If you've ever seen a John Wayne movie, come on. So the telegraph was the main form of communication, and a local telegraph office advertised for helpers. A number of young men came into the office, and they were told the same thing. Go sit down, fill out this form, wait to be summoned into the office by the boss. After a a long period of waiting, another young man got got up and went into the office. They were like, what's going on? And then the employer came out and said, Okay, the position's been filled. You can all go. One of the guys stood up and said, Now, wait a minute. I don't understand. That guy you just hired, he was the last one to come in. We never even got a chance to be interviewed. Yet he got the job? That's not fair. So the boss responded, The last several minutes, while you have been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message... Then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. He did. The job is his. We have to listen to God. He's giving us the message. We've got to be paying attention. It's everywhere around us. It's in us. It's our conscience. In the beginning, unless we seared it, we see it in creation. We hear it in the word. But we've really got to stop and think about it, don't we? We have to use our mind to reason these things out and try to put it together. And that's God telling us his word and his will for our lives. If we would only listen. Are you listening? Are you hearing the things of God? Are you allowing the word to permeate your mind and your heart? I hope so. It is the only way to know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free if you grab Hold of it. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the fake news, okay? Hear the truth and believe. It's only found in the Word of God. It's the one true thing that's always the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you for being here with me today. May the Lord bless you and take care. And God bless. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.